Hey, Daily Signal listeners, Doug Blair here with a special bonus episode of the Daily Signal podcast. I spoke with founder of TheReload.com and firearms reporter Stephen Gutowski. We discussed some proposed firearm legislation, what might happen, and what we should be doing to prevent any of these mass shootings from ever happening again. Take a listen. My guest today is Stephen Gutowski, founder of TheReload.com and a firearms reporter. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. As a country, we have suffered through some pretty awful mass shootings over the past few weeks. Uh, some, however, have been critical of how the corporate media has been covering these types of shootings. What are your thoughts on how the media covers these types of events? Well, I think there's quite a lot of problems with how the media covers mass shootings, but really just guns in general. Uh, there's, there's just a complete lack of basic knowledge on the topic of firearms, how they work, how they're regulated, what the politics even are around them, why people oppose different policies uh, that are often put forward in the wake of, of these shootings, um, why people own guns, why different kinds of people, different demographics of people own firearms. There's just so much um, ignorance, I think, on the topic that it's it's something that really harms the conversation around firearms because it's difficult to even talk about the topic if everyone is coming from a completely different set of facts or, or a completely different set of information. On that note, does the media's coverage of these types of shootings affect the national debate about gun ownership? Yeah, certainly. I mean, one thing I would say, too, is that the media really ignores guns and everything about firearms that isn't related to mass shootings in in for the most case, right? They're, mass shootings are these horrific events, and it's understandable why media outlets would want to cover them significantly. People want to know what what happened, why they were, there's a lot of news there, certainly, but it's not the only thing to cover when it comes to firearms. I mean, 45% of American households uh, have a gun in them, which is, uh, you know, that's the latest the polling uh, after the pandemic, the numbers risen because we saw a huge increase in gun buying. And so there's a lot of different aspects of that story that just go completely uncovered. Is there a better way that the media can both report on the shooting itself, on the event, but then also not kind of wade into this territory where they're affecting the gun debate? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that just having a base level of knowledge about firearms and our firearms regulations as they exist now and what these different policy proposals would do, that would be a great start. Uh, and, you know, you, you've seen some efforts made at, at uh, having – people on to have that discussion or, or going a bit further into uh, understanding different policies and what they would do or understanding, for instance, um, why some policies poll very well, but but there's never seemed to be any political consequences for uh, Republicans, say, opposing them or, or the fact that they don't pass in ballot initiatives. You know, you see this with universal background checks and to the New York Times credit, they just did a piece that examined, you know, this phenomenon and why it happens. And, uh, you know, uh, that's a fairly rare thing. You just get a lot of assumptions uh, made that sort of hew to the traditional narrative that, that we see after every one of these 
sort of uh, mass shootings, which focuses on why we should have more gun control. Right. In in the aftermath of this shooting, much like other shootings, we've seen politicians in both America and Canada say that they plan to take pretty drastic action. So let's start with our neighbors to the north. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has said that he plans to ban the sale of handguns in the country. As a beginning of that type of conversation around gun control, would that actually have been effective at dealing with this particular mass shooting and mass shootings possibly in the future? Uh, no, it wouldn't have affected Uvalde or, or Buffalo because those were shootings where the perpetrator used rifles. Um, and so obviously banning the sale of handguns wouldn't have any impact on those particular shootings. Uh, most shootings... Most mass shootings are carried out with handguns, and most crime is committed with handguns. So, uh, you know, uh, certainly it, it could make more sense to target them in, in legislation uh, from a statistical standpoint. But, you know, handguns are also, of course, used commonly for self-defense in the United States and Canada, and, and they're often highly valued for that reason uh, as well, and you know, I don't I haven't seen the polling in Canada, but I know in the United States, uh, it's only about 19% of people who support a total ban on on handgun sales. So it's a very unpopular policy, which is why actually you've seen uh, the gun control groups move away from uh, talking about handgun bans, which a lot of them were founded around. I mean, the, the Brady campaign was was a campaign initially to ban handguns, uh, and it was unsuccessful. So. Uh, that's one area where the politics have completely changed it, but apparently not as much in Canada, where now, yeah, Trudeau is trying to, to ban all handgun sales. Well, that actually brings up a good point, because we'll hear from gun control proponents that this is a uniquely American issue, right? You'll hear Europeans say this all the time. They'll look at America and they say, oh, you guys have a gun problem. Is there any truth to the fact that these types of events are kind of an American thing? Uh, certainly, you've, you've seen some evidence. There have been there was one study in I believe 2018 that looked at incidents of mass violence in other countries that found the United States was uh, not necessarily out outside of the uh, frequent, you know, as far as the frequency of those events goes, not side, not outside of the the average in the world. Um, although there's controversy over that, there's a study by John Locke, I believe, and you know, there, there's there's been counter studies that go the other way. I think there clearly there has been a an increase in uh, mass shootings where four or more people are killed uh, over the last you know 30 years, and I don't know that anyone has a particular answer for why that's happening um, or how to stop it. Frankly, most of the time you get the left will say, you know, uh, let's just ban whatever guns seem to be popping up most frequently in the high profile ones, you know, like the AR-15. And on the right, you would usually hear people wanting to, uh, you know, uh, harden targets, you know, have more armed security or allow people to carry guns for themselves or, you know, try to uh, try to act on warning signs would be another one. But I don't know that I've ever, ever seen quite a really good explanation for why there's been an increase um, in the last couple of decades. Uh, I don't, yeah, certainly as far as like mass killings go, it's not a uniquely American problem. You certainly see mass killings in other countries of, of all different sorts, that, you know, whether it's uh, arson or um, bombings or using trucks to run people over. Mass killings certainly happen across the globe. You know, if you're narrowing it down to just 
these something like Uvalde where the sh- the motive is it's a single person and the motive is not necessarily political uh, it's not an act of terrorism necessarily in the same way we would consider something like even Buffalo to be an act of terrorism or or you know 9/11 of course mm-hmm. but um you know, so, so there might be something uniquely American, something unique about our current moment that's causing these people to who are have a tendency to want to commit uh, some sort of horrific act like this to do it in this way. Uh, you know, there's been theories about serial killers were prominent at one point, political assassinations were prominent at another point. Uh, those things have died down, and now we have mass shootings. Uh, it's it's hard to know exactly because statistically these things are still so rare that it's difficult to uh, come away with like serious uh, conclusions as to why they happen or what exactly would solve them. I think that's the unfortunate truth about it. Mm. Now on this side in America, we've had words from the president about what he thinks we should do to try and curb gun violence. So Biden called for banning what are so-called assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, two terms that I actually don't believe have a technical definition. Is that correct? Well, those are terms that vary from state to state depending depending on where they've been implemented, things like an assault weapons ban or high-capacity magazines. You know, depending on what state you're in, a high-capacity magazine could hold seven rounds. It could hold it could be 10 rounds or it could be 15 rounds. Uh, so, yeah, it sort of fluctuates. Same for assault weapons. Depending on the state you're in, it could be, you know, a centerfire, uh, semi-automatic that, firearm that accepts a detachable magazine and has two features like a pistol grip or telescoping stock or uh, flash suppressors. In other states, it's one one feature makes it a, an assault weapon. You know, so so, yeah, as far as... Uh, those terms go. They're pretty nebulous, and it really depends on on what state you're in, frankly, at this point. So at a federal level, Biden is calling for a ban on assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, as well as barring uh, anybody under the age of 21 from buying a semi-automatic weapon. Would that do anything to curb these types of mass shootings? Well, you know, I guess that's that's where it gets very difficult to answer. Like, would it do anything to curb to prevent one of these, you certainly you can look at um, individual circumstance and and say, well, if uh, for instance the, the popular thing now is uh, B- Buffalo and Uvalde, both of those shooters were uh, 18 years old, so that's where the age restriction response is coming in. There's a tendency for uh, you know as far as demographics go, younger men are the ones who commit most violent crimes in in the United States. And so, you know, there's always this impulse to restrict their access to all sorts of of, of weapons. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously you can look at other mass shootings where the shooter was outside of that age range um, or they used a different kind of gun. You know, Uvalde is an AR-15, so if we banned AR-15s, it wouldn't happen, right? Well, there was the Santa Fe school shooting where uh, a student used a pump action shotgun to kill 10 of their classmates. There's not, you know, the UVA shooting was handguns. Um, it's, there's not going to be a policy, uh, especially a ban where you're going to see, Oh, that would have stopped all of these shootings. And, and, you know, when you're talking about a ban approach, you're taking the broadest possible approach to that. You're not talking about like going after people based off of their specific individual uh, warning signs that they prevented or presented. 
Uh, instead, you're saying, well, if we just sort of uh, stop selling all, you know, this entire class of firearm, maybe so that would prevent someone from buying them down the line, and maybe that would prevent that, you know, point zero 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 one percent of zero 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 one percent of the population from carrying out an attack like this. You know, so it's sort of a there's a broadsword approach to trying to you know reduce the number of these incidents. As you mentioned a little bit earlier in the interview, things like background checks or expanding background checks, I think the term is universal background checks, have been cropping up as an idea to uh, maybe prevent these things from happening. What impact would that have on gun rights as a whole? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, um, we have background checks now on all commercial sales of firearms. So if you're in the business of dealing firearms, you have to get a federal license in order to do that, and as a condition of the federal license, you have to conduct a background check uh, through the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System when you sell a gun to somebody who's, you know, to a customer, someone who's not licensed. And uh, right now, that's how we regulate. We regulate it based off of the commercial market. That the federal government relates regulates the commercial market of firearms. They don't regulate the private market, the used market. The secondary market, right? So if, if you own a gun and you want to sell it to somebody within your you know, state who's also not a licensed dealer, by federal law, you don't have to get a background check to carry out that sale. Now, you can't, there are, of course, still restrictions on you. You can't knowingly sell guns to people who uh, are not allowed to legally own them. Right, a prohibited person is what the federal government calls them. Uh, you know, somebody who's had a felon felony conviction or a domestic violence misdemeanor conviction or has been adjudicated mentally ill, that that sort of thing. And so, the proposal for universal background checks is to expand that requirement to all of these sales. And sometimes, actually, what the House just passed last year, HR eight, that would expand the requirement to get a background check to all transfers. So even if you're just lending somebody a gun, if they're, you know, usually these have carve outs for family members, but um, if you lend, lend your friend a gun, for instance, uh, I'll give you a personal example. During the rioting that happened in, in the summer of 2020, there was, uh, you know, my friend, his family, he wanted to have a firearm just in case something happened. So I lent him a, a pump action shotgun and you know, we went through all the safety uh, requirements and all that and had a lock, and of course. But had had I done that under, you know, if HR 8 was in force when I did that, I would have been illegal for me to lend him that gun without first going to a gun store to get the licensed dealer there to transfer the gun between us and do a background check on my friend. So th that's what the, the concept of it is, um, you know... Uh, and so that, this has been something that's been controversial for 30 years. I think everyone's pretty well dug in on it. That's This is the policy where you hear, uh, well, it polls really well, right? It's 80 to 90% uh, say they support universal background check system. There might not be uh, very much understanding of what that would mean in practice for most people when they're asked that question. But that's the policy that comes up a lot as being this uh, extremely popular policy. Um but, of course, there's caveats to that, too, because it's been put to ballot initiatives. And as that New York Times piece I referenced earlier notes, 
doesn't always pass, even when it's it polls, you know, in the 80 to 90 percent range. Uh, for instance, 2016 Maine referendum on universal background checks failed, even though the proponents for it outspent the opponents and Hillary Clinton won uh, that election as well. So uh, obviously there's um, there's perhaps less real world political support for policy like that um, than than shows up in polling. And, and obviously one of the, another big critique is that it wouldn't have almost never would stop these mass shootings because Uvalde, Buffalo, you know, most of these, the shooter bought their gun legally because they didn't have a uh, disqualifying record, usually because nobody followed through on the warning sides that they put off. As we begin to wrap up here, I have one final question about how gun control advocates seem to press on topics that they really don't seem to have that much information about. So I'm going to read you a quote from President Biden he made a couple weeks ago about hunting and guns. And he said, what in God's name do you need an assault weapon except for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on for God's sake. It's just sick. It seems like he doesn't quite understand why people need to use guns. How does that matter when they're writing this type of legislation that they're in with this impression about what guns are and the reality on the ground of how people use firearms? Yeah, I mean, just like it's a problem when media talk about firearms without even a basic knowledge uh, of, of any aspects of the conversation, it's a problem when politicians do the exact same thing. And it's frankly just as common there. I mean, yeah, the president commonly will repeat things that aren't true. He used to, uh, he, he uses a line about how cannons used to be banned uh, during the, the founding era, which is just false. Um, I mean, it's still false today, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's also, of course, this uh, deflection towards hunting. Oftentimes uh, you'll see a lot of democratic politicians discuss hunting as this sort of only legitimate use of firearms when most Americans buy firearms, not for hunting, but for self-defense, uh, you know, that you've seen that repeatedly in, in surveys over the last, you know, decade or more. And, and in the kind of guns that Americans buy, Americans buy more handguns than they do rifles or shotguns now. And uh, so the number one reason to buy a handgun is, is for self-defense or home defense. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, it's sort of ignoring the more difficult, <laughs> the more difficult opposition position that he faces, and just trying to go with the sort of lowest hanging fruit or, or these straw man arguments. Obviously, that's not unique to the president um, or any political party, but but it is common in the gun debate for sure. That was Stephen Gutowski, founder of TheReload.com and a firearms reporter. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's bonus episode of the Daily Signal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast on your podcast listening app of choice. That's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please leave us a review and a five-star rating if you can and encourage others to subscribe. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.